let's indeed keep worshiping. Let's open our Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 2. We re-enter together our summer series of messages we're calling The Big Picture. We're looking at the grand story of God, and as many have done, they have really summarized it in four key words. We could look at these as the four key chapters in the grand story of God that we fit into. And those four words, these four chapters are creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so we began this series weeks ago in Genesis 1 and then in Psalm 100, considering the creation. We affirm that we are not existing by random chance. We acknowledge that we have a personal creator. We have a maker who spoke the world into existence and we owe him everything. And so that's our creator. And when our God created everything, he created it good. He created a perfect creation. But immediately we think, well, something went wrong because I don't live in a perfect creation. And so then we moved into that second chapter, a sad chapter, and we're in that one now, and that is the fall. And we were together in Genesis chapter 3. We saw the fall. What is the fall? It's when the first man and woman broke the one law, the one commandment that they had. They believed a lie from the evil one and did not believe God's word, and they took part in something they should not have. And just as God warned, the consequences were devastating, devastating to them, the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, but to all of us who've come after and to the universe itself, the whole universe came under a curse. And that's why we can say, well, what happened to the good creation? Well, the fall happened to it because of that one sin, that original sin, death and devastation came to the earth. And the impacts of that have indeed been universal. Adam and Eve were impacted by it and the entire universe severely impacted. You and I now live in a world of problems. And so we think about, what are, we, we live on an earth that's plagued by wars. There's disease and viruses. And so all of us aware of cancers, we are still in this pandemic of COVID. And now they're telling us a lot about monkeypox, something never heard of until recent days. There's crime, horrific crime, destructive floods like in Southwest Virginia and places like Kentucky recently. The whole world suffering from decay and deterioration, indeed a universal problem. In my quiet time, I've told you that I often look at some maps there kind of electronically in my prayer list so that I can just remember different nations that I feel like I need to be praying for, praying for the gospel to reach them. But there have been moments, maybe coming off the news I just watched and the trouble that our country's in, that I've sometimes thought, is there a place I'd rather live than here? Like, is there a country out there that has it together better than we have it together? And I can tell you, I can't find it. And so when I'm tempted to want to run from the craziness that's here in our culture, I can't find a place on earth. Our hope is not in some other nation that somehow isn't there. Listen, sin is there too. It might look a little different, but there's corruption there. There's evil there, there's crime there, there's confusion there. There's no place that we're just talking about the fall and its impacts, indeed universal. But now we're kind of come into Ephesians chapter two and we're gonna be reminded that the problem of sin is not just out there. The problem of sin is now in here, in each one of us and there is a solution for it. So we're gonna see here that Paul's gonna remind us of the devastating personal impact of sin since the fall. But he's got to also remind us, if you hang on for it, oh, but there is one. 
The one we just celebrated at the Lord's table, there's one who is the remedy for this fall. So first see with me, though, the devastating personal impact of the fall. The devastating personal impact of the fall. This is Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's Paul writing, and he's writing to Christians in Ephesus, and he's able to speak to Christians using past tense as he brings up all these problems. Did you notice the tenses here? He says to them as Christians, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we're going to talk about this subject of the fall and its implications and devastation to us. We're going to say, that was true of me. I have a, a new reality now because of Jesus, but that was true. And this will help you understand everybody else in your life that you care for who don't yet know Jesus. He's changed us. But listen, when he found us, we were totally corrupted by sin, severely impacted by the fall. So Paul here in Ephesians 2 is going to tell us, some of the ways the fall has impacted us. And, and maybe you're going to see your sin as more of a problem than you ever thought before. Because Paul says here, the fall caused all of us to enter life spiritually dead. The fall caused each of us to enter this life spiritually dead. Paul says the default condition of human beings when they arrive on the scene on earth is they are dead. Notice verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead. Spiritually lifeless. Yes, you are born physically alive, wonderful, but spiritually dead at the same time. So you can remember those days, many of you. What was my life like prior to Christ? And a lot of things we're ashamed of. We could spend our time there. But for a moment, you could think, well, there was that birthday party I went to, and that was really nice. And there were those vacations that I took, and that was, that was fun. And so there are some things there. But so while you were living, though you were still were separated from God, and you didn't really even want God in that stage of your life. So notice with me how comprehensive and universal it is when Paul says words like this, and you, speaking to all of them in Ephesus, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. All of you. Verse three, if you look at it again, he speaks of the rest of humanity. This is, this is true of everyone in humanity. And Paul even includes himself. You know, we all were following these things in the past. Romans three speaks this way very clearly when it says, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Or Romans 3.10 says this, there's none righteous. No, not one. Romans 5 speaks of all of us. It says we were sinners. We were helpless. All of us, we were enemies of God by nature. This is just talking about how devastating the impact on us personally because of that original sin, that fall we were all estranged from God. Then we find places like this. In Jeremiah 17, 9, we get a description of the human heart. The same heart you have, same heart I have. Listen to how God describes it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And that's why it's the worst possible advice you can give or receive. When you say to somebody, oh, just follow your heart. Oh, not that. Anything but your heart. 
Your heart will lie to you. You'll be convinced some things are good and right that aren't good and right. You'll follow your heart into all kinds of trouble. Why, is our, why are our hearts like that? Because of the fall, and we've inherited this problem. Even back in Genesis, so we read of the fall first in Genesis 3, but just as quickly as Genesis 6, we find the whole earth in a terrible mess. Listen to this. Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What a statement about the human heart. So the fall did this to every human being. Sin has thoroughly infected and deadened all of us. Sin has impacted everyone in every area of their lives. This takes us into that doctrine that sometimes we hear of described as total depravity. Do you know that phrase, total depravity? R.C. Sproul gives a helpful description of what that means and what that does not mean. Listen to that with me. He says, the idea of total in total depravity doesn't mean that all human beings are as wicked as they can possibly be. It means that the fall was so serious that it affects the whole person. The fallenness that captures and grips our human nature affects our bodies. That's why we become ill and die. It affects our minds and our thinking. We still have the capacity to think, but the Bible says the mind has become darkened and weakened. The will of man is no longer in its pristine state of moral power. The will, according to the New Testament, is now in bondage. We are enslaved to the evil impulses and desires of our hearts. The mind, the body, the will, the spirit, indeed the whole person have been infected by the power of sin. Sproul goes on to say that he has a term he prefers even better than the term total depravity that might be misunderstood. He likes the phrase radical corruption. So what has been the impact of the fall on me and on you, he would say it's radical corruption. That every human being has been radically corrupted from within by sin. You and I have inherited a fallen nature from our parents. Those are to our parents. We've passed that on to our children. We're all then radically corrupted here. And because of our spiritually dead condition, we are incapable of coming to God on our own. We need God to act first that we might come to him because we were dead. So impacted by sin were we that we cannot love God like we know we're told to. So impacted by sin, we actually love other things more than God. We essentially are idolaters before we come to Christ. One scholar said it this way, total depravity means that every sinner is guilty of elevating some lower affection or desire above regard for God, his law, and the gospel. Listen to this. Sinners not only do not love the true God and put him first, but they do love some other God and put that false God first. And so we're just talking about the devastating personal impact of the fall. You and I dead in our sins. You might though counter that in your mind. You think, but wait a minute. I know some unbelievers who are very, very friendly. And I bet that's true. I've heard people say this before. They'll say, oh, this, this person's sweeter than most people I know at church. There are people like that. You think they're just, they're just very kind. So we could imagine together a doctor who serves people all week in a very loving manner, helping people. And then we might hear that on the weekends, this doctor actually goes and serves in a soup kitchen. This person just can't stop doing good. There are people like that. We say, well, wait a minute. Are they somehow exempt 
from the fall? Did they somehow not get this sinful nature? Oh, no. Their sin's just going to look a little different than some others. They're still having a huge problem. They're still infected. They're still totally corrupted by sin. Though they still can do some good things, that doesn't make them good in the sight of God. They're still resisting salvation. So, so why would a person who, if they were truly good, why would they say, I don't believe what God has said. I don't need a savior. I'm actually handling this on my own. There's a, quite a heart of rebellion there, though it might look very nice and some really good might happen. Total depravity, radically corrupted. The fall has affected all of us this way. So much so that Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So the fall, what did it do? It caused us to come on the scene spiritually dead. Secondly, what did the fall do? It caused us to be spiritually disoriented. Because of the fall, you and I are spiritually disoriented, meaning we're not clear on who to follow. It should be obvious that we should be following the God who made us and who loved us like no other. But in our fallen condition, dead in our sins, we're also disoriented. We're following anybody but God. Notice what Paul says in the text here. He says in verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, and here it is, following the course of this world. So how do spiritually dead people live? They live by the philosophies and the values and the opinions of the world rather than following after God. They don't know that they should be following the God who made them. And truthfully, they don't want to follow the God who made them. That is the condition of our hearts before Christ intervenes. Rather than follow our good God, they follow the world, just like you and I did before Christ. Now, when the Bible talks about here following the course of the world, what's he talking about here? Sometimes the word world means just the earth, the place. Sometimes it even means the people of the world, where God so loved the world. But in this case, in cases like this, we find that the world here is referring to a system that's hostile to Christ, a system that's hostile to the reign and rule of Christ. And you and I live in that context, that world. And we're warned repeatedly in the scripture of watch out for the world and the course they are on. Here's an example, 1 John 2.15. We're told as Christians, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We're also warned this, that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Jesus even prayed for us to the Father about our relationship to the world. In John 17, 14, we read this. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So there was a time in our lives apart from Christ because of the fall, we were dead in our sins and we were following the course of the world. We were totally disoriented. Now in Christ, we recognize, oh, I can't, I can't follow the course of the world anymore. I have a new leader. It's Jesus. I'm going to have to follow after him. But let me ask you here this morning, Christian, are there ways in which you are presently continuing to follow the course of the world? Have you been tempted and have you succumbed to just following the course of the world? I'll put it to you this way. Be very concerned if you can just consume like the, the, the popular music of the age. You're like, that's, that's what I listen to. That's what I love. And if you can listen to that and not be regularly disturbed by what you're hearing with the lyrics, something's off there. I'm not saying you can't enjoy the melody. You can have your own convictions about how you handle music. But I'm just saying if you're consuming the, the, the philosophies of the world in the, in the most popular music of our time, whatever genre, and you think, man, that is me. I'm just loving it. I'm relaxed. 
you, there should be something offended in you if you're now in Christ and think, man, they're singing about my old life and it disturbs me. Or be concerned if you can consume a lot of media, things like TikTok and YouTube and Instagram. And, and unless you put some filters in place, if you're just consuming whatever they put in the stream and uh, yeah, there's some funny things there, some interesting things there. But if you can just scroll for just minutes and minutes and minutes and go, man, that's just great. I'm not disturbed at all there. Something may be off. You may be not following the Lord. You're following the course of the world. Or even, even those of us who watch the news, you know, you think, oh, you have your favorite news program. Just remember, some channels maybe are better than others, but none of them are Christian news channels. There'll be times where they put a feature story. Well, that's, that's not me. They just prove that maybe we line up on some issues, but they're not following after Christ. They're still the ways of the world there. So we're dead in our sins. We're disoriented. We're following the wrong leaders. We're following the world. But then Paul adds this, notice the latter part of verse two, he says, we also followed the prince of the power of the air. So disoriented, we don't even realize it when we're lost, but we're following Satan in his plans on the earth. We're actually following the evil one. And we can see that what he's promoting through the world system. He promotes pride, the rejection of truth, the rejection of God himself, the rejection of the word of God. We see it so clearly now on this side, but when we were lost, when we were dead in our sins, we followed the world blindly. We were following the evil one blindly. And then Paul mentions this, we followed our own lusts and desires when we were dead in our sins. Notice verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You think of it with me, ultimately the evil one and the world system he leads and dominates operates by appealing repeatedly to our selfish desires. If we go back and think about social media moment and uh, we see that this is pretty much what's being promoted constantly, you know, in between the, the funny video or the other things so often, if we're just, if we're just really ingesting the stream, so much of it is trying to appeal to your lust. So, so the other day, just to see what is it that so many young people are consuming with TikTok and so many adults as well. Because I, I see the occasional funny video that says, hey, check out this TikTok. So I thought, let me just take a look at this. And so just spent about five minutes just going through the, the thing, the feed, what's being, what's being suggested that you watch. And I'm thinking, I just like disgusted and spiritually discouraged kind of repeatedly just in five minutes. So I cannot imagine for a believer to feed on that unless you've got some ways to filter. In fact, come up to me after and say, here's how I filter out and I only get the really funny, wholesome stuff. But, but if you feed on what they're trying to feed you, what the world and the evil one and your own flesh, it really is all, desire, all designed to get you to follow your flesh. You click on that, it's just more garbage, more description. So what, what I'm saying is this, and maybe somebody can correct me afterwards. I, I think it'd be impossible to thrive spiritually if that's your life, you just feed on the feeds that are coming from whether, whatever your social media is, just whatever they're feeding you, unless you've got some way to go, no, I've got a way to block that. I've got a way to, I'm not going there. I've got to just consume the wholesome here. Again, this connection between the world system and lust. Here again, the warning from 1 John 2. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts. 
But the one who does the will of the Lord, he lives forever. So Christian, you can no longer follow the world. But if we're being honest, though we have a new nature now in Christ, we still possess that old nature. And we still hear those messages from the world to beckon us back to follow after our desires. You and I need to be careful here. We still have the tendency to be tempted and to follow after temptation. But our Savior says this to us. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We're no longer disoriented if we're in Christ. No longer are we going to follow the course of the world. No longer are we going to follow the evil one like we once did blindly. No longer are we going to follow our own lusts and desires. We will follow Christ now that we know him. So we're talking about the fall. And we saw that we are spiritually dead before Christ enters our lives. And we also see we were spiritually disoriented, following all the wrong ones. And then this, we were spiritually distant, spiritually distant apart from God. So instead of being the children of God that we now are in Christ by his grace, listen to how the scripture described us before Christ. Because of the fall, all of us were sons of disobedience and children of wrath. Look at verse two, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Listen, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. So look at that descriptor of unbelievers. For those of us who are Christians, that used to be one of the ways we were accurately described. So it's hard to think about something that'd be worse than saying you are dead in your trespasses and sins, but, but this is a rough one too. I mean, that's rough that that's who I was, dead in my sins. But then God says accurately of me before he came along, I was a son of disobedience, son of disobedience. So rebellious was my nature and your nature apart from Christ that God could accurately say, you're a daughter of disobedience. You're a son of disobedience. That's who you were. But it gets even worse because it's hard to think what's worse than being dead in your sins. What's worse than being called a son of disobedience? How about verse three also, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we're just considering together the devastating impact of the fall on humanity. All of us radically corrupted by sin, dead in sins, disoriented by sin, distant from God because of sin. And then here, this whole idea, condemned. Just people waiting on condemnation is what we do. We're children of wrath. That's a terrifying description, isn't it? That that's who we are apart from Christ. The people that we love and care for, that's who they are right now. You've been redeemed out of it, but they're still sons and daughters of disobedience. They're still children of wrath. And unless they respond to the Savior, they will experience the wrath of God. This takes us to the realm of ultimate consequences. It's a pitiful, even hopeless condition to be apart from Christ. But here's why we rejoice. Because you and I once we're children of wrath, and now we find ourselves worshiping on a Sunday as the children of God. How is that possible? How can a person go from being a child of wrath to a child of God? Listen, it's all through Jesus. God offers a rescue. God offers redemption. And I know we're going to talk about that the next two weeks, but we can't wait on that. After all this talk about our sinfulness and death, there is hope, and it's Jesus he brings redemption. He brings resurrection. Those of us dead in our sins, he's the one who makes us alive. It's all, I want you to notice these words in a moment when we read. It's in Christ. It's through Christ. It's with Christ. So now let's go a little bit further. Ephesians 2 verse 4. We just read about sons of disobedience. By nature, children of wrath. By now this, verse 4. But God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Oh, Christian, rejoice in this This is the power of the gospel. This is the love of God. Finding people like us who are so marred by the fall in rebellion against him, dead in sins, and he can reverse it all. He can take us who are in rebellion and make us his saints adopted into his family. So think about the people that you love that are still described by being dead in their trespasses and sins, following all the wrong things. So what do they need? What is it that we take to them? Our message is not a message of some self-help. You know, you got a few bad habits there, dead in your sins. You should, you should try to clean up your act a little bit. That would never do. Dead in sins. That wouldn't work. Neither would it be, you know, what you need to do is add weekly church attendance to your spiritually dead condition. Coming to church is wonderful, but our problem is bigger than solving by I'll just start attending some services and surely God will be good with me. No, we were dead in our sins. We need resurrection from the dead. And Jesus is the one who can do that for us. And many of us in the room, we've had him do that for us. Now adopted by him, redeemed by him. So this is the gospel. This is the good news. People who are radically corrupted by the fall. Now made alive together with Christ. So consider with me, the creation of God was wonderful, but the fall, oh, more tragic maybe than you've realized before, but Jesus came to rescue us. And today, let me ask you, would you let Jesus rescue you? This rescue is available. This is all God's idea to provide a way that your sins could be forgiven. Would you let Jesus be the one who rescues you to undo the ravages of the fall that have been your experience. Listen, it's the ultimate rags to riches story when you meet Jesus Christ. We were on vacation last week and on one of the days we were gonna go to Jockey's Ridge and it was hot that day. It was kind of a mistake to go that day, I think, but we were going and I thought we gotta have some water. We brought some waters, we need some more water. So I stopped off at a convenience store to get four waters for the car. Everybody else stayed in the car, I went in. I thought I'd be in there in, in and out fast. But there were like 20 people in line at this convenience store. And I stood there for a few moments with the water bottles. And I realized, oh, what's going on here is the lottery. And I thought I heard them say that the the jackpot was up to $400 million. I was just overhearing. But I actually heard wrong. It was over a billion dollars. I later found out that I thought, yeah, this is going to take forever. But a lottery exchange, I've never done one. It's not fast. You know, there's people are working through. Maybe they're buying multiple tickets. And so I just gave up. I put the waters back, left, went to another convenience store, and there was only a line of eight people ahead of me. But listen, I know this. I know this. Nobody in North Carolina where I was won it. Somebody in Ohio, I think, won it. So all these people in line, all these people with all their hopes, uh, they just went from rags to rags, maybe. Because sadly, these types of things often prey upon people who don't have the money to spend. It's like, I got to, man, if I buy 10 tickets, my chances are bigger. I mean, so now I could have bought a hot dog with that money, but... That's gone. So that's rags to rags. We, we as humans, we often look in the wrong places for our hope. I do have a favorite rags to riches story, though. Some friends of ours in Alabama, 
we got to know them when I pastored down there years and years ago, but um, they're, they're still dear friends of ours. But their story kind of began this way. They were newly married. They lived in a mobile home there in uh, rural Alabama. The, they, in fact, they tell it that that first mobile home where they lived, when they would move from one end of it to the other, it would tilt. So when both of them one end of it, it would lift up. Uh, the wife, she, when she was doing their laundry as a young couple, they had no washing machine, so she'd use the bathtub at the end of the mobile home to wash their clothes. Really, things turned. They were, they were potato farmers, and uh, when things, things changed when somebody ordered a load of potatoes, and if I understand the story right, they couldn't pay for the load and just said, you can keep the truck. From that one truck, through God's blessing and a lot of hard work on their part, they built a trucking company, and now with 118 wheelers that really go from that Alabama area out west and back, it's kind of that territory where they're often employed. And, and so they, they actually have gone from really, I think, a, a rags to riches story. What I love about them and knowing them through these years is still very humble, very quietly generous to other people, haven't tried to live lavish for themselves. And, uh, and I, in fact, I love the frugality that has remained. In fact, I remember the story of the wife where to save 10 cents a gallon on gas, something like that, she knew she could get it cheaper across the Georgia line. So you leave Alabama, it's going to get a little cheaper. She ran out of gas on the way to get gas. And so people kind of enjoyed telling that story on her, uh, just maintaining those frugal ways. But that's a, that's a rags to riches story. Very happy for them. But I want to say this, this is the reason I bring it up. This isn't about money, but you have a better rags to riches story than even theirs because you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And here you are, many of you, you have come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're now a child of God. You were once a, a child of wrath and now you're one adopted into the family of God and you are saved forever. That's a, that's a better story. That's eternally good. And so today, would you see your sin? Maybe you're seeing it the first time and don't excuse it. Tell him, Lord, I've, I've, I'm dead. I'm, I've, been a, I've been a son of disobedience to you. And now I see that Jesus paid for this on the cross. He was raised from the dead. Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. Oh, I would, I would that you would trust in Jesus. And then I want you to hear his last verse, verse seven again. I was thinking about this yesterday. This just delighted my soul all over again. Talking about being saved so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is amazing. God wants to save you now. And he says, he has in mind in the ages to come, I want to just keep on being kind to you. Think of it. Children of wrath is what we were when he found us so marred by the fall. But Jesus saves us so that for the ages to come, I'm just going to keep being kind to you. And I'm going to keep being kind to you. Oh, get in on that. Turn from sin, whatever it is that's been keeping you from trusting in Jesus. Lay that aside. Throw that aside that you might have this Savior, this life that he's offering to you as a free gift.